Thank you for listening to the weekly messages of New Providence Primitive Baptist Church. To subscribe to our podcast, hear other messages, or learn more about us, please visit nppbc.com. I'm Dan Farrell. You don't know me, and I don't know you, but I sure love your worship. I love your pastor. I don't even haven't known him very long, but I'm just smitten with him that uh, he's uh, got a jovial spirit, but he's serious about the things of God. And that's what's lacking today, you know. Um, we've turned our church, many of our churches, see, I, I travel, right? Um, and so when you travel, you get to see things. And um, in America, religion and even Baptist churches have become a circus. And it's more man-centered than God-centered. So as a compliment, I could tell that everything here today was God-centered. And I think that's, that's really good. And that's where we get the most help. So when a pastor leads you to be God-centered, that's because he loves you, not just loves the Lord. And so I, th- I thank you for your enthusiasm, too, and your congregational singing. Uh, that's good. That speaks well. I've been in a lot of churches where uh, people in the back row say, hey, I could hear you singing. Because I'm singing out and hardly anybody else was. But I guarantee you, three rows back, you couldn't hear me singing. Because everybody else is saying, this this girl here, man, she belts it out, man. I'm telling you, she's, I love the way she sings. So anyway, I, I'm Dan Farrell. I'm out of Grace Point Baptist Church in Louisville. And I'm in charge of the Navy SEALs for Christ uh, globally. Uh, we're in nine countries. What's happened is the, um, the American missionaries have done a good job. But like if they go to a country like the Philippines, then they start a church, they win souls, they have young men called to preach, they train those guys. But what about the guys that are already there? No one's training them. So like when I went to Cambodia, I, I held two seminars, two seminary-type classes. The first one I had 150. The second one I had 320. I, I was shocked. In Thailand, I had 45. In Vietnam, I had 47. In Philippines, I have thousands. And these are indigenous preachers that just no one pays attention to them. And so, you know, they don't have books. First of all, when you're in Southeast Asia, I mean, the, the, the humidity and the, the temperature will just destroy books. But second, nobody buy, gives them books. They don't have the money. I just had a preacher two weeks ago in Masbate Island wrote me and said, you know, I'm going to lose my marriage. I have no money and my wife is disgusted and so on. And I said, well, what's going on? He goes, he goes, we're fighting over a hundred pesos. A hundred pesos is like a dollar 80. That's what all they got. So, you know, we sent him $300, $300 is like 15,000 pesos. I mean, he, so he took his wife on a second honeymoon and you know, and I said, now you need to love your wife and pray for your wife. And, you know, you can't just hide behind the ministry. You're going to have to, you know, be a blessing to her. And so now we've got guys in Myanmar. I've got an orphanage in Myanmar. Got like 20, I think 26 young people now. Uh, but Myanmar, which is Burma, you know it as Burma, is in just upheaval. They threw the president in jail. Uh, I wish we could do that. Um, but... Um, but the, the whole nation's in upheaval. Um, and so I'm very concerned about the orphanage. I, I call it the Judson Children's Home. And we sent them money, and I, I think I may be able to go there next year. So now we've got Navy SEALs in Africa, Ghana, Uganda, Congo. We've got Navy SEALs in Cambodia, Vietnam, Philippines, Canada, America. And it's just kind of getting, I mean, it's just, it's just exploding. Um, now we've, we're going to be teaching the young, we're after generation Z. You know what generation Z is? Generation Z is born between 1997 and 2012. Generation Z, those of you that are born in those years, they're different than generation X or the millennials. The generation Z, they're not impressed with your plasma TV. And they're not impressed with the money. The, and they've seen their mom and dad fussing and fighting. And they've seen the joke. And the, they want something real. And so that's why many of them get suckered into Islam or communism or some cult. If they're going to drink, they're going to drink a lot. 
If they're going to live for the devil, that's the Generation Z. But if you get them excited about Jesus Christ and they get turned on, the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them, they will charge hell with a wet rag and a squirt gun. I mean, they just will. I love Generation Z. I really relate to them. Um, So we are after Generation Z, and they're the ones that are joining our Navy SEALs. And they are just, I mean, they're just, I took... I've had like about 12 preacher boys in the Philippines. I took them street, but they'd never been street preaching before. They were out there, man, like a bunch of pit bulls with an attitude. And they love people, and they're out there preaching. I'm, I'm telling you, it was so exciting. I've got videos of it. Um, so you pray for me. I'm leaving the 22nd. I'm going back to the Philippines. Then I'll come back, and then next year I'm going to Africa and Australia. I forgot to tell you about Australia. I mean, we're exploding in Australia, in Western Australia. Um, so now it looks like we've got 12 platoons of Navy SEALs, and I'm just very excited about it. Then we started a seminary called Stellar Baptist Seminary, and I'm teaching virtually. And so now as I go back in a few weeks, we may be starting two more schools to help train these young men. And see, here's the thing. We don't charge them anything. You say, yeah, but they won't appreciate it. Well, then they'll quit. In fact, that's the secret of the Navy SEALs. We tell them to quit. Quit. If you can't cut it, get out. We don't need you. We're not talking about reaching souls. We're talking about training soldiers. So we have a brass bell. We tell them to ring the bell. If you're done, you can't handle it, you're a wimp, get out. Mm -hmm. And the Generation Z, I had my first uh, platoon, my first battalion had 63, not one quit. We had guys that couldn't do 10 push-ups without breathing heavy, and then they got up to, we got them doing 50 and 60 push-ups with their feet up. Yeah. Yeah. And I, on graduation day, they were weeping and crying. They said, this is the first time in my life I feel like I've accomplished something. You ought to see it. Yeah. I love Generation Z. I love them. And, and yet we need new missionaries. See, we need the kind of mission. And by the way, we're going into an era where this idea of a missionary getting three and $4,000 from America, those days are done. If they don't learn how to support themselves and how to grow gardens and learn how to go in the jungle and face death, then we're not going to get missions out there. So also, too, I'm going to the island of, of Mindoro. The island of Mindoro, listen to this. This is pretty exciting. There's the Manyan tribe. And I got pictures right here. So I got a picture of the Manyan tribe up here. That's my next one. Um, there's the orphanage. The Manion tribe, they're all about this big. And, you know, I, I do. I look like Magilla Gorilla, you know, when I'm walking around. <laughs> and so, but they had never been evangelized, never, until about 20 years ago. Never been evangelized. Idolatry. And now they've all become bad. Well, the Catholics found out what the Baptists, so the Catholics came in and built them a big village up in the mountains. And so then the Catholics said, well, since we built you a village, how about us build you a cathedral? They said, no, get out of here. We're Baptists. <laughs> they didn't notice. And so you gotta, it's really cool. So I'm going back to Mindoro. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an American, right? So I, I kind of like modesty. And so, but when you're up there in those mountains, man, they don't have showers. So they said, oh, teacher, you want, you, you want to take a bath? You want to take a shower? I go, yeah, I kind of like to, you know. And so they, they built me a, a booth with banana leaves. And there I am standing in the mud, naked as a jaybird, and had to take a bath out of a bucket of water. And these girls, women are bringing me buckets. I'm thinking, oh, God. <sighs> you know, if only the churches in America could see me now, you know. But it's exciting to get around the Manion tribe because God is saving them. And now there's young preachers, and they want me to start a Bible college there in the island of Maduro. And so you pray for that. Yeah. So uh, some of these preachers don't have Bibles, and I'm, we're trying to teach them English so they can embrace the King James Bible, but uh, they'll, they, they got like maybe two-thirds of a Bible or half a Bible. So when I give them a Bible, you think it's like their wife just had a baby. Yeah. I mean, they hold that Bible the way you'd hold a baby, you know? And to give preachers books and so on, it's just exciting. Yeah. And uh, so I really would appreciate your prayers. Amen. Um, you know, if you can't, you may be supporting missionaries. You can't afford to support me. That's okay. I tell people, if you give me money and don't pray for me, you've cheated me. Yeah. So just pray that Amen. the Lord will help me. Yeah. 
Uh, my kids, I got five, we got five children. They're worried I won't be able to get back. The world's in a mess. This COVID junk has really, it's, and it's tyranny. You understand that? You do understand that? It's, it's a pandemic, right? And I called it in 2020. And, you know, preachers made fun of me. They said, no, no. I said, no, it's a very real virus, but we've had viruses before. I mean, bad viruses. You know, what do you do? You take vitamins and you wash your hands and you pray and you ask God to help you. And, you know, that's what you do. So this, the, the, the global tyranny is happening everywhere in all these countries. And so get, if God gives us a window, and he may, then we have got to go full bore the next two or three years. We have to. I don't know what's going to happen this election, but I challenge you as a church, if God can, gives us, allows us to have a little more freedom, because you don't know three years from now it will be gone. It'll change. And we still got to evangelize, but we won't be able to evangelize the way we are now. And so you pray for me that I can hurry up because I, I feel the urgency to get going. All right, open your Bible to Matthew 20, uh, 28. Matthew 28. Thank you, Pastor, for allowing me to come. What an honor to stand behind your pulpit. Chapter 28. Stand with me if you can stand. Thank you. And familiar scripture, verse 18 through 20. Matthew 28. Let's read it together, shall we? If you have a King James Bible, I'll start us off, but if you'll help me read this out loud. Here we go, verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Title of the message, you've heard it often referred to as the Great Commission. I would like to rephrase this and call it the Great Omission. Title of the message, the Great Omission. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for letting me be here and the privilege, the honor it is to preach. I pray that you'd help me to contribute to the great ministry of Pastor Boring, that I would be able to invest uh, years from now, even months from now, they won't even remember me being here. But what's important is that you do a work that's good and lasting in the life of somebody. And again, there may be those among us that are lost. Maybe they're a member of the church. They Outwardly, they're religious. They're a good person. But there's just not that anointing. There's not that witness within. There's no sh- assurance. I pray, Lord, that you would save their soul today. If there's a young man that's struggling because he knows you're calling him to preach, but he feels unqualified. He feels inept. He feels unable. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would take away his excuses and that he would surrender his life to the gospel ministry this morning. Bless, I pray, New Providence Primitive Baptist Church. Thank you again for their ministry, their testimony, and for what the, we've experienced this morning. Thank you, O oh Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Amen. Be seated. Now, you know, our sovereign God is an amazing God. I, you know, he is so sovereign, and yet we don't take him seriously when he says go. And in the Greek language, you have several words for the word go. This word here in, in verse 19 is paruamai. It'd be like you saying to your son, hey, son, go get me a glass of water. Or, hey, daughter, um, can you go um, answer that phone? Or... But if you tell your son, hey, son, go mow the grass, he goes, well, dad, I'm busy. Go! See the difference, the inflection? In English, we have inflection. Well, in Greek, they have different words that say the same thing, but with with greater emphasis. This word here in verse 19 is the strongest word for go. It's the idea, go! Go! First two letters of the word uh, gospel is G-O. Go. Look, if you will, Matthew 23, 23. Now, I'd like to preach on the great omission. The great omission. Look, at here's where we find the word omit. It's, I think it's the only time in the New Testament. It's in 23, 23 of Matthew. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted, look at that, 
You've omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done and not to leave the other undone. This idea of omission. Now, see, I don't know who's here this, this morning, but I doubt we don't have too many drunkards here this morning. We don't have too many people here doing drugs. There's probably no one here beating their wife. And you know, and you think that because you don't cuss and you don't chew, you don't go with girls that do, you know, you think you're a pretty good Christian. But you know, as you get older in the Lord, you're going to find out the sins that you're really guilty of are the sins of omission. The things that you should have done. And you didn't do it. See, you think because you don't cuss, well, then you're a pretty good Christian. Well, I'm glad you don't cuss. But what do you do? It's interesting. We define our Christian life with what we don't do. Well, what do you do? Now, omission's a big deal. Let me give you an example. Let's say, for instance, your wife asks you, say, honey, I just wrote that check. Now, did you make that deposit? Oh, boy. That could be a pretty bad mistake. Or how about this? You leave for vacation and 50 miles down the road. Did you turn off that burner that I... That would be something. How about this? You go on vacation. Did I put the garage door down? See, you could leave some things undone. Or you didn't sign the check. Or you didn't sign the deed on that car that you sold. You know, there's just a few things that you just left undone. And it can come back to burn you, man. Now, I'm going to give you four thoughts. And again, you're not used to me, but I'm not used to you either. So it's okay. But I, I want to be a blessing to you. And my personality is a little strong. I'm not as loving as him. But, but, um, but, but please, don't, don't, don't let my personality interfere with the message. I think this message is from God. Number one. We're talking about the great omission, underestimating the weight of the command. We underestimate the weight of the command. Now, why do we turn the great commission into the great omission? Let me give you an example. How many times did God tell Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth? Once. And apparently they did it because look who's here. He told them to be fruitful and multiply. Aren't we told to be fruitful and to multiply, to make disciples, to win souls? Aren't we told to do that? Soul winning should be very important. But the Lord did not leave it. You see, I mean, when you think about it, what, what Pastor was saying, this whole, I've listened to every word he said, his opening remarks in Sunday school and here in the worship service. Really, when you think about it, God, the Lord Jesus is so precious and so wonderful, you would think that just out of a sense of gratitude and love and worship that we would go and tell everybody about Jesus Christ, right? But no, we don't. So that's why he told us to do it. He didn't leave it to your discretion. Because he knows that we come up with alibis. Well, I'm just my personality, and I'm just kind of quiet and timid. Well, that don't matter. Suck your thumb while you witness. It's okay. It's not a gift. See, some people have the gift of singing. This young man playing the piano is a great piano player and guitar. You guys have gifts, but soul winning is not a gift. It's a command. And we underestimate. We underestimate this weight of the command, you see. If we are to really serve the Lord, then we got to take his commands rather seriously. Let me give you an example for what we do that we waste on when it comes to missions, for instance. Now, this is 2017. These are the stats. In America, we spend $56 billion on pets. $25 billion on video games. This is 2017. $54 billion on gambling, $90 billion on booze, and $8 billion on cigarettes. I wonder how much we spend on missions. And, and, and not just, you know, I don't like this idea of world missions, local missions. It's all missions, whether it's here in the valley or if it's in Vietnam. Turn to Mark chapter 1. You're in Matthew. Turn to Mark chapter 1. 
You remember the story where the Lord did this great miracle for this, this dear guy. Verse 41, we're in Mark 1, 41. Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I will, be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And now watch what Jesus does, verse 43. And he straightly charged him and forthwith sent him away. Now what did he say? He says, see thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. He, you hear what he's saying? Now, shh, don't tell anybody what I just did. Just go to the priest quietly, don't make a big fuss, and offer for thy cleansing, because that's what Levitical law says. Next verse, verse 20, 45. But he went out and began to publish it much, and to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. Now, this is interesting. He tells him, don't tell people what I did for you, and he goes out and tells everybody. He tells us to tell everybody, and we don't do it. So I think what Pastor Boring should do is say this, don't witness this week. I don't want you to tell anybody about Jesus Christ. And that maybe you'll do it. I don't know. Does reverse psychology work? I don't know. But this is amazing to me that this guy could not keep his mouth shut. Blazed abroad. When's the last time you told somebody about Christ? And I'm not being a pious gas bag here. I'm no better than you. I was at the grocery store years ago, and this, you know, I was sent to go buy. I hate shopping, man. It's it's Baptist purgatory for me. (laughs) I hate it. But I was shopping, you know, and trying to buy some things. This lady saw me. She goes, are you having a hard time? I go, yes, ma'am. She wants me to get this and that. She goes, well, I think it's down there. And she laughed. I go, oh, well, thank you very much. I said, women have a way of finding things that we can't. So I went and found it. Well, then I'm in another aisle, and she saw me again, this lady, and she started talking to me. So I talked to her. We talked about, you know, the weather or whatever. And so then I finally got everything I'm supposed to get. So I go to the, the checkout. And as I was going there, I said, you know, Lord, I'm sorry. I should have witnessed that lady, gave her a track, and I didn't. I'm a hypocrite. If I see her again, I'll witness to her. So I'm up there, and I'm in, taking my stuff out, and here she comes right behind me. And she laughs. She goes, I bet you think I'm stalking you or something. I said, no, no, man. She goes, well, she goes, and what's your name? I go, Dan Farrell. And so we're talking. And I'm unloading. The lady goes, okay, that'll be so much money. And the lady goes, well, nice meeting you. And I go, well, nice meeting you too. God bless you. She said, thank you. And I I'm going out in the parking lot. And I said, I'm sorry, God. I, should, I told you I had a witness to her, and I didn't witness to her. I'm sorry. I'm a hypocrite. Here I am, a preacher, and look at me. And so I'm unloading my stuff in my car, and I thought to myself, Lord, if I see her, ever see her again, I promise you I'll witness to her. And here she comes. She parked right next to me. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, don't tell me God don't have a sense of humor, man. <laughs> And so finally, I looked at her. I said, ma'am, I got to tell you something. And she goes, what's that? I said, I'm a preacher of the gospel, and I'm a hypocrite. I should have given you a track back in that grocery store. And I said, I'm sorry. And I thought maybe God's going to save her, right? Ah, she thought I was a weirdo. And so she took the track, but that was it. I'm just saying this. To, I said that to say this. We all struggle with it. Yeah. Yeah, you ought to witness to people out of love and gratitude for what God's done for you. Yeah. But if you can't do that, you have a command. Yeah. And the command is do it. Amen. Whether you feel like it or not, whether you think you're good at it or not, whether you feel the warm, fuzzy thing or not, or whether you're backslidden or not. Let me, ask, let me tell you something right now. You tuck somebody out there like in the jail. Who's the guy who's doing the jail ministry? Where is he? Okay, now those guys that are in jail, do they care if you've got a bad attitude or not or your marriage ain't great or you're not living right? They don't care about that, do they? They just want to hear what the gospel has to say. And sometimes the reason why we don't witness is because we're not living right. Amen? Witness anyway. Because you may get right then. So number one, why do we omit the Great Commission? Number one, because we underestimate the weight of the command. Number two, the undoing the worth of a soul. Undoing the worth of a soul. Now, you have to be a believer, and most of you are, to really appreciate the eternal, continual existence 
of a human soul. Now, think, just please just think for a second. Every lost sinner is going to live somewhere forever and ever in conscious eternity. I've often wondered, why does God have to send people to hell forever? Wouldn't 100 years be enough? Or 1,000 years? I mean, but you see, I'm not God. I can't rewrite the Bible. I don't know how holy God is, and I don't know how evil sin is. I know this, that the human soul will never cease to exist. Listen to what Jesus said. What shall a profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What would you give for your eternal bound soul? That alone ought to move us to want to tell people about Christ. J. Wilbur Chapman, he's an old evangelist, tells of a story of this old Quaker lady back in these days in the 1920s. The Quakers actually believed something. And um, this old lady had heard that there was another old lady that was in prison. This old lady was as mean as a sack of snakes, man. She, I think she killed somebody and did something else, so she's in prison. And so the Quaker lady went before the judge and said, would you give me permission to go talk to that lady? He goes, madam, this woman is full of the devil. She is beyond hell. She goes, sir, in all due respect, I'd still like to go see her. So the judge goes, okay. And it was up in Columbus, Ohio, Orient. They called the Orient. So she went to go to the waiting room, and they went to go get the old lady, and she came out in shackles, man, shackles around her ankles. And she came out, and, man, she was as mean. And that old Quaker lady looked at her and said, I come here to tell you about the love of God. And that old woman cursed her and cursed God and says, I don't give a blankety-blank why you came here. I don't want to hear it. And that old Quaker lady looked at her, got close, and kissed her on the cheek. So I just want to tell you I love you. And that old woman said, ah, you get the blanket blank out of my face. I don't want to hear what you have to say. And then she moved in closer and kissed her on the other cheek and said, I just want to tell you Jesus loves you. And that old lady broke. Started bawling her eyes out. And that Quaker lady led her to Christ. And the story goes that she became the ideal prisoner and was never got out of jail for all the crimes, but she led ladies' Bible studies in jail. Now, I heard someone talk about that young man, 18 years old, that's got a felony. How much is he worth? You say, well, hey, that kid's a loser, man. I mean, he's thrown away. Let me ask you. You're not worth any more than he is. You're not, and I'm not, I'm, and I'm not saying that to be. Right. What's the word? I go, oh, that's the right thing to say. No, it's the truth. Yeah. Amen. You're no better. Amen. I was preaching in Ash, Asheville, North Carolina, and it was at the Bell Share. There were 600 Satanists and homosexuals cursing me for six hours. We preached for six hours, and this transvestite crossdresser guy. His name was Mariah. He was 6'3", almost tall as me, had a dress on and lipstick. And he came, they, they said he wanted to talk to me. Now, I'm just being honest with you, okay? I don't feel comfortable around cross-dressers. I'm sorry. But the guy wanted to talk to me. So I started talking. I said, what's wrong with being a man? Is there anything wrong with being a man? No. I said, why don't you just be a man? And he, he came to the story. He goes, my dad kicked me out. My dad didn't want me. My grandpa didn't really love me. But when I started becoming, trying to be a woman, he threw me out of the house. And he goes, and Baptists, all they ever do is condemn. And I started crying. And I said, I'm sorry. And he took a Bible from me in a track. And he said, you're the first one that's ever showed me compassion. And I said, Mariah, I said, I'm so sorry. Will you trust Christ? He goes, no. But he goes, I, and he started crying. So I said, well, let's have prayer together. We prayed. Well, here's what's happened. <laughs> so we got done praying. He looked at me. He goes, can I have a hug? And I thought, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I just, I, 
did, you know, and you know what happened? It was like the Lord said, I touch lepers, and you're too good to give him a hug. And see, my mind wasn't going there. I know it was God talking to me. So I gave him a hug, and then my stupid preacher boys took a picture of it. (laughs) They did. But I'm not ashamed of that. Because Mariah, his life and his soul is just as precious as mine. And when you write somebody off, I don't get it. could be a what if it's a Muslim? I personally, as an American, I don't really care for a jihadist. But they have souls. And a few, a couple years ago, I led my first Muslim to Christ. And he hugged my neck and said, now I love Jesus. It's amazing. When you don't witness the people, you're undoing the worth of their soul. You're saying they're not worth it. You're basically saying, well, they probably won't listen, and I'm embarrassed, and who am I? And, and you've got all these alibis, but you're basically saying, they're not worth the inconvenience of me telling them about Christ. Right. Right. Yep. I'm sorry if that sounds rude, but it's the truth, and you know it. Yep. You know Amen. it. Amen. Number three, undervaluing the wonder of the gospel. You see, because, Pastor, you understand this. How many people have you witnessed to and they reject the gospel? You've been door knocking before. How many people actually, oh, yes, I would love to go to church. Oh, yes, I would love to trust Christ. It doesn't happen very often, does it? And because you see this, you begin to question, can the gospel save anybody? Will this glorious gospel of the blessed God as Paul called it in 1 Timothy 1.11. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Yeah. Romans 1.16. You see, this is why what, what our peers think of us, our reputation, our social standing, whatever it is, we get to this idea as Christians, I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to appear dumb or a religious fanatic. Uh, you ever heard of John Chow? Anybody ever heard of him, John Chow? <clears throat> they make fun of him on social media a couple years ago. You never heard of John Chow? He's 18 years old. He was over there where I was. He went to the North Sentinelese Island, just south of India. These people have never been reached, never been reached with the gospel. India has the Karens and the Hindus. They've been reached, not this, the Sentinelese. And yet they hated white men. They were scared of white men. John Chow knew it. Nobody would take him to the island. And in his diary, he said, God, is this Satan's last stronghold? I know they may kill me. In his diary, I'm I'm quoting now. He said, I think I'm worth more alive, but Lord, your will be done. (laughs) He went on a fishing boat and went there and preached the gospel. While he was preaching the gospel, an arrow came. But instead of hitting his chest, it hit his Bible. Saved his life. It scared him. He got back in the fishing boat, came back the next day to preach the gospel. He said, Jesus loves you, and I love you. Please listen. And they killed him. They took a rod, stuck it up his rectum, stuck him in the beach, and they could see it from the satellite. They killed John Chow, 18 years old. What do you think about that? You know what the social media said about John Chow? Look him up. John Chow, C-H-A-U. You know what they said? He said he's a He's a bigot to think that those people even needed saving. Leave them alone. But you see, he couldn't because he believed that the gospel could save them. And he gave his life. I envy that guy. I do. I envy that guy. I'm so sick of American Christianity. I think sometimes, not maybe not this church, but I think most, we make God sick. Because we're so lukewarm. Yeah. Amen. The wonder yeah. of the gospel. You ever hear of Irene Webster? Irene Webster, she was an amazing woman. Back in, before World War II, <laughs> she was in Japan as a missionary, a single woman. And she wanted to reach the Japanese. Well, then the war broke out. So she had to leave Japan... And while she's gone, she got engaged to this guy, and they're going to go back to Japan if the war was ever over. Well, her husband, her fiancé died. 
So here's Irene Webster, brokenhearted. Now the war's over, 45, and MacArthur is asking for missionaries to go to Japan with Bibles. Irene Webster goes, and she's in Tokyo near the, the camp, and we had like probably 2,000 war criminals in this camp. All right, so now there she is, and this Christian Japanese lady said, would you go visit my husband? He is the number one war criminal because he killed so many Americans. But he's lost and he's going to hell. Would you please go see him? And Irene goes, well, they're not going to let me in. Would you please try, old missionary? So Irene Webster goes and knocks on the door, and the the guards come out, and she tells them, they go, well, He's in death row. He's going, to be, he's going to be dead here in less than 12 months. She goes, would you please? And he says, we'll give you 30 minutes a week. So you know what she did? She went to go see him, and she, for 30 minutes, she had him memorize John 3.16. That's all she did. And then she came back the next week and talked about sin. Came back the next week, 30 minutes a week. Came back the next week and talked about the atonement. Came back the next week and talked about the wrath of God. This went on for about six weeks. The guy's name was Shabona. And Shaboni, Shaboni, I think Shaboni, he got saved. The number one war criminal that killed Americans during World War II, Japanese, got saved. Now, let's say it gets better. So he gets saved, and now he's witnessing to other Japanese war criminals. Before the time, before he met his death, over 100 Japanese war criminals had gotten saved. Now, this is the testimony of the American GIs. They said, whoever this Irene Webster is, man, she must be a special old woman because she's leading people to Christ. On their way to the gallows with black hoods over their heads, they were singing, Nearer my God to thee. Now, you know what that tells me? Please listen. Don't tune me out. Dirty, rotten Japanese killing our American GIs, and God saved them. Because an old woman gave him the gospel. Irene Webster, you're going to meet her in heaven. Now, what have you done? Well, I caught a three-pound bass. Oh, wow. I wish I could. I'm not a very good fisherman. I like catching bass. What do you think? When you get to heaven because you got an eight-point buck, you're going to get a reward for that? You think because you shot a good golf game, that's going to give you a reward in heaven? What have we done? You say, are you trying to shame us? Yeah. I am. Don't underestimate the wonder of the gospel. That 18-year-old young man, I believe God can save him. In fact, I think God will. Because we prayed for it. And that guy back there is out there taking these books. You know what? Hey, you're you're in a prison ministry, right? Last time I was in jail, I had 11 guys saved. 11 of them. And I didn't do the bow your head, repeat after me stuff either. And you know what? Those guys are getting saved, holding Bible study. It's amazing what God is doing. Why? Because the gospel is powerful. That's what it is, man. I'm telling you. And look what God did for you. If God could save you, he could save anybody. Amen. Amen? Amen. Now here comes the last one, and this is the tough one. Another reason why you should not omit the Great Commission. It's because you're undertaking a wretched loss. And I say this with tears. You say, what do you mean? Corey Timboom said this, the measure of a life is not its duration, rather its donation. What have you given? Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 34. Paul says to the Corinthians, awake to righteousness. Are you there, verse uh, verse 34? And sin not. He's talking to Christians. For some have not the knowledge of God in reference to Corinth. Watch this. Look at this. Underline this. I speak this to your shame. Look at that. New Providence. Primitive Baptist Church. There's some people in these hollers. That do not know God. They have not heard the gospel. New Providence, Primitive Baptist Church, I speak this to your shame. Amen. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 
Whose fault is it? If people around here have not heard the gospel, whose fault is it? There's so much shame associated with this great commission. Why do you think Paul said in Acts 26 that I am pure from the blood of all men? What did Paul mean by that? I'm pure from the blood of all men. You see, the loss of rewards and the loss of what you could have had. Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior so? Not one soul with which to greet him. Must I empty-handed go? Wouldn't you like to get to heaven and somebody come and hug your neck and say, I know you didn't save me, but thank you for telling me about Jesus. Wouldn't you like to have some people coming to you, thank you for telling me about Jesus, thank you for witnessing, thank you for not giving up. Wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't you like that? I was preaching down here, up here in Kentucky, and this big old boy, man, this kid was, he must have weighed 360 pounds, but he came to me, he goes, I haven't heard you preach in a long time. I go, well, hi, how you doing, young man? He goes, fine, his wife and three kids. He goes, well, you don't know me, do you? I go, no, sir. He said, I heard you preach at youth camp about 15 years ago. He goes, I was mean as a sack of snakes. And he said, and when you preach, God got a hold of my heart and saved me. Now I married a, a pretty girl, and I got three kids, and he hugged my neck, this big old guy, hugged my neck, and said, I just want to thank you, preacher. I love you. <laughs> he walked out, man. I started crying. That's better than a bag of gold, man. Yeah. That's worth everything. I know, I, I know God... You know, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. I mean, what are we? We're clay pots. We're nothing. But still, it's pretty cool to be able to win a soul to Christ. It really is. And sometimes winning souls is not just being there when they get saved. It's planting the seed and somebody else leads them. We all enter into that, right? So whether you plant or water, but it's God that gives the increase, right? And see, God takes care of that. Now, what are you going to do when you stand before God? And other people have led those to Christ that you're supposed to. Yeah. You know, have you ever read the book of Philemon? Yeah. That's after Hebrews. You know what the Philemon's about? Philemon had a slave. His name was Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave and he ran away because Philemon was being mean to him. Well, he ran away to Rome. And guess who he is? ended up sharing a, a jail cell with? The apostle Paul. Yeah. And Paul led him to Christ. So Onesimus told him the story. He goes, well, you need to go back to your master. So he writes a letter to Philemon and says, now, look, I know he was your servant. I know he disobeyed you. If he owes you anything, put it on my account, but receive him as a brother. And I thought to myself, I wonder how that made Philemon think. You should have led him to Christ. Why didn't you do it? No, the apostle Paul, who's going to have to lead your neighbors to Christ if it's not you? Why not you? Amen. What does it mean if I warn the wicked and you fail to tell them, you'll have blood on your hands? What does that mean? Come on. Don't look at me like a bunch of Baptists. Answer that question. To have blood on your hands, on my hands. I've got blood on my hands. I do. There's people I could have witnessed to and I didn't and they died. I'll have to give an account for that. Not a sin, not a sin. But can you imagine what it would be like to stand at the great white throne judgment and God says, depart from me. I never knew you. And that person looks at you and says, why did you tell me? Why did you tell me? And you think, oh, I didn't think you'd listen. Well, you should have tried. You say, well, that won't happen. That won't happen. You sure about that? You sure about that? You sure somebody won't put their bony finger in your nose and ask why you didn't tell me? I don't think that'll happen. Well, then what does it mean that God will wipe away all tears? There's got to be tears in order for God to wipe them away. You say, where does it say that? Matthew or Revelation 21, three verses after Revelation 20, which talks about the great white throne judgment. You say, boy, you sure are getting hard on us tonight, uh, this morning. I know. It's the great omission. Number one, he gave the command and he meant it. 
Number two, the undoing of a soul. The precious, is there anybody here this morning, would you be brave enough to raise your hand? I won't embarrass you. You're lost. You're not saved. Anybody like that? Would you slip your hand up, please? Anybody? Okay, it's okay. I was hoping somebody would. But whoever's lost this morning, your your soul's worth more than all the world. Number three, you're underestimating the wonder of the gospel. You think they won't listen. Look, God can get a hold of them. You know, God can save them. And then number four, you're undertaking a wretched loss. You are not understanding what's at stake. It's not just for them. When you stand before the Lord, you'll have to give an account. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Let me close with one story. I think you're done. There was, back in the 1950s in Colorado, um, they didn't have cell phones. <clears throat> and uh, there was a school bus coming down. And the, the storm had washed out a bridge. It was a deep ravine. And so they called the guy. They had, you know, back in those days, they had the big towers. And you watch over the river and watch over the bridge. And they called him and said, man, there is a school bus coming. We cannot get a hold of them. But they'll probably be there in about 45 minutes, maybe like 10 to 10. You have got to stop that bus. You understand? Yes, sir. I'm telling you, you do not let them go over that because they'll, they'll perish. He goes, I'll, I promise you, I'll stop them. Okay. So quarter till, no bus, 10 till, and all of a sudden he saw two headlights. And that old rickety school bus with 45 kids in it was barreling down the highway about 55 miles an hour. He climbed down that tower, grabbed his lantern, went and stood in that highway and yelled, stop, stop, stop. And that school bus went right by him. And all 45 kids and the driver perished. Well, months went by and the depositions had to be made and the, the trials came on. There were a lot of lawsuits. And they brought the, that night watchman to trial. And this guy, he's just a basket of nerves, man. He's just upset because he takes it personal, right? They said... What time did you get that phone call? He goes, well, I, I think it was like around 9.15. I think 9.15. He goes, were you told to stop the bus? Yes, I was. I was. I did. I did. I tried. I tried. Did you try to stop? I did. Did you grab a lantern? Yes, I did. I grabbed the lantern. I screamed. I screamed. Did you light the lantern? Oh, my God. I don't remember. The sin of omission. It's not what he did, it's what he didn't do. You get it? I bet you every one of you, you're pretty good Christians. But you're not witnessing. That's a serious thing. The great omission. Let's bow our heads for prayer, every head bowed. The piano, I don't know how pastor wants to do things, but if the musicians would come... He may want you to. Please, musicians. First of all, are you saved? Do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? It's a serious thing. And I, can I apologize to those of you that are not saved? Sometimes we Christians, we don't act very concerned or compassionate. I apologize for that. I do. Because I, sometimes like I went street preaching Friday night, and I, I'm kind of upset because I, I don't think I showed a lot of love. You got to be bold, but where was my compassion? And so I, I apologize, but let me say this: Don't let a backslidden Christian keep you out of heaven. Amen. Trust Christ. And you say, but you don't know what I've done. Hey, you don't know what Christ has done. You say, I, I don't care if you had an abortion. You, you think abortion is is a, is is so indelible that the blood can't wash it away? You're listen, young lady. Come to Christ. Young man, please trust Christ. I beg you. You say, well, God doesn't beg. No, God doesn't beg, but I do. I'll beg you. Trust Christ. And I pray that if you leave here lost, that God will wake you up tonight in the middle of the night and convict you. You need to be saved. Will you trust Christ? You see, because your soul is worth more than the world. 
And you got a pastor here, and if he's not your pastor, he's at least a local preacher. He really cares about you. And it could be you've got a complicated life, too. I get that. But you know what? God can fix it. God can fix it. You say, well, I just don't think. No, no, stop thinking. Jesus didn't say, understand me, and you'll be saved. He said, believe on me. Can you believe? Can you believe? Just like when you get in a plane, you believe that pilot is licensed. You don't know if he is, but you believe. Can you trust Christ? You say, well, I just don't think I have the faith. Okay, how about this idea? Why don't you ask God to give you the faith? Say, God, I don't have repentance and faith. Would you give me repentance and faith? I think that'd be a pretty good prayer request. Lord, would you give me repentance and faith so that I could repent and believe? Why don't you do that? Really? Then they say soul winning is better caught than taught. Some of you, I'd, I'd like to see you be a soul winner. To get a burden for souls. They that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. You know what's more important than knowledge is a compassion. You know, a lot of times these lost people, they don't care how much you know or don't know. Just They'd like to have somebody that really cares about them. To shed some tears. And I would ask of you, dear Christian, whatever you want to do, why don't you come forward this morning and say, God, make me a soul winner. Make me a soul winner. Give me a burden for souls. What do you say? Father, bless. Help these dear people. They're good people. A fine church. But this, this whole valley is going to hell. And there's people that just need to have some compassion. So please, Lord, bless that dear lost person that wants to be saved. Bless that dear Christian that wants to be a soul winner. And then help that one who doesn't care. If they don't care, then maybe they need to be saved. So Lord, bless the invitation, I pray. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the sermon is yours. God bless you.